Is it possible that the path to unlimited riches were inside of us all along? Then we travel back in time to the year of World War II. World War II was happening when a young soldier about to be killed overdoses on meth and goes on an amazing journey. And then we travel to Falkville, Alabama to meet a young sheriff who gets a mysterious call one night. Was it a call from the future? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so let's go ahead. Now, we're going to put on our overalls here, put on our hazmat suits. Helmet comes down, breathing apparatus. We're not going to China. We are actually going to Japan. Now, as far as I know, everything's fine over there. And you're wondering, why do we have the suit on? Well, we're going to get dirty. We're going to get dirty. We're going to go straight up Christina Aguilera. That's a dated reference. Where people are like, what? Does she just not bathe? Uh, It's an old song. It's older than you guys. We're going to Japan. We're walking through the sewers. And we're shining our flashlight. And you're like, is there some sort of cryptid down here? Like, why are we here? Is there like a Japanese sewer cryptid? I'm like, no, actually. And I reach my hand. Now, I want to say this too (laughs) before I go any further. Dead Rabbit Radio has not become the butt show. I know there's been a lot of butt stories recently, but we're not the butt show, okay? There's just been a string of butt stories. So now I reach my hand into a pile of poop, and I pull out some poop, and I begin sifting through it. And you're like, oh, gee, Jason, come on. Have we really come to this? And I turn around, and I go, as I'm turning around, I turn around fast, and it flies and hits you in the mask. I go, what I'm holding right here is so much more than human poop. Snap my finger. Now we are in an archaeological place. We're in a desert, right? There's a bunch of caves and stuff and dirt. Wherever archaeologists are known to gather. You know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist. I thought that'd be such a cool job. Being a podcaster, though, is way doper. Less women. Women are women hate. I tell. I don't even tell women I'm a podcaster anymore. They just. It's a huge turnoff. But. So there's less women, but also I don't have to worry about doing this. So these archaeologists, what they're doing, I'll just do it with my words. People have to do this for real life. They're finding human poop, like fossilized human poop. This is in Fallon, Nevada. Now that I looked over at my notes, we're not just in a nondescript desert. We're in the desert known as Nevada. They're finding these poop, these archaeologists, and they're like, break them in half. And they can see corn in them, but it's not just any corn. This is corn from the second harvest. So what has been going on for thousands of years is you eat corn, and then you poop poop it out, and then you eat the corn again. You pick it out of your... I'm sorry. You're like eating a bowl of corn right now. You're like, I want to save this episode for Thanksgiving. And you're like, ah. You poop out the corn, you mm, 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 and the corn that doesn't get digested, you pull out of your poop and you eat it again. And you're like, so what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So is that why we were in Japan? Are they known? Are the Japanese people known for their massive corn consumption? I'm like, we'll get to that in a second. As I pat you on the back. First off, let's talk more about this: the second harvest. Wait, no, I'm done with that part. Here are some other poop facts. That's what this note is. That's what this segment is actually labeled in my notes: poop facts. Old timey doctors. Now, where you appear in like Greece or something. 
uh, Herodotus is hanging out. Hey, what's up, Hero? Hey, what's up, guys? We He hasn't been on the show for a long time, but we walk up. I actually wash my hands. Give him the cool secret dead rabbit handshake. You don't know that yet. You're not down like me and Dotus. And he's like, hey, guys, come check this out. And there's this doctor talking to some dude. And he goes, I think you're sick. And the guy's like, I'm obviously sick. That's why I'm at the doctor's. But back in old timey days, doctor, I don't understand this. Like, I understand like eating corn. You're starving. Eat some corn. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for my next meal. Just got to digest it first. I get that. But I don't get this. The doctor, back in the old times, you'd poop for the doctor. You do that nowadays. But you poop for the doctor, and the doctor would taste your poop. Mm. Tastes like you have a bit of cholera, mm. a, little, a little bit of gonorrhea. Mm. There. I lost all my listeners. Now let's the episode really begin. I'll start reading off number stations for my Russian handlers. No. For my listeners who stayed past that disgusting joke. The doctors would taste your poop. I don't understand. You just look at it, and it's either watery, full of blood, or normal. There, I've diagnosed you. I'm a I'm a better doctor than old timey. Let's say goodbye to Hero Dotus. Now we're going to Finland, where they did a study recently, and they do a study of men in Finland who are into S and M, which is what like eight guys. Like how many people in Finland are into this? Stu- ah, maybe it's more than eight. But anyways. They did a study, and out of all the men, out of all eight men in Finland who are into S&M stuff, 18% of them, at some point in their life, ate human poop. You're like, Jason, please stop with the poop facts. I'm like, one more thing, because this is actually fascinating. We're back in the sewers of Japan, and you're like, damn it. And I'm standing there, and I go, this is actually fascinating. So that's all poop facts, but we've talked about second harvest with the corn. Because I'm eating cornbread. <laughs> mm. You're like, how did you get that in your hazmat suit? A man who's hungry has ways. So then I tell you that in Japan, they figured this out. If you take the poop of one million... This is true. They're doing this right now. If you take the poop of one million people, it can be worth up to $13 million. Japan has actually built a processing plant that goes through all the poop and separates like heavy metals, like a little bit of Aerosmith in there, a little bit of Metallica. They separate like a lot. There's a lot of gold in human poop from the water because they actually said there's so much gold in the oceans that it would devastate the. There's more gold in the oceans than humanity would ever ever need. It's just very very expensive to pull out. More gold in the oceans floating around than you could ever find mining in a cave. But we can't, it'd take too much to actually get it out of the ocean. But we drink it. And when people poop, a million people's poop will contain up to $13 million of gold, of platinum. I don't know about platinum. (laughs) That might hurt coming out. But gold and all these other minerals that people like. A big old gemstone. You're like, oh, shouldn't have eaten that Hope Diamond. So... Japan's built a processing plant that actually filters through your poop and eat. everyone's poop has just microscopic fibers. Don't do this yourself. You don't have a microscope. Like, you're not, and it, you don't have the poop of a million people. But, I mean, sure, you can maybe get, like, a nugget over the course of your life. You're like, it struck gold as, you, as you're just dying of dysentery. But if you take a poop of a million people, you can make a ton of money. The other minerals, now that I'm looking back at my notes, silver and copper. And they've said... They built this processing plant. There is more gold in the poop of Japanese... I have show notes. I'm not making this up. There is more gold 
in the poop of Japanese people than there is gold that's estimated to be in the Japanese, the main Japanese gold mine. And that main Japanese gold mine is one of the top gold mines on the planet. And there's not even that many Japanese people. There's what, like 13 million, 20 million, something like that. So their poop has more, just their poop has more gold in it than is estimated to be in this one of the best gold mines in America. So. I have really no way to wrap that story up. I find it fascinating. But anyways, that's enough of poop facts because I realized I've been talking for quite a long time about that. Let's go ahead. It is fascinating, though, that all that gold. Them's gold and them are butts. And I think we're going to cool off on the butt stories for a while. I actually have, I actually have like two or three more. But we've had a lot of butt stories recently. One of them I was just like, I'm not going to do this one. And then we've just done a lot of butt stuff recently. So, we're going to cool off on butt stories for a while, but they're, they, they will be lurking in the shadows of the show. So, anyways, now we are going to Finland. So, let's hop on board the Carpenter Copter, take off our hazmat suits. We're flying over to Finland. We're going back to March 18th, 1944. Now, this story was recommended by Ineo. Really, really appreciate the recommendation, Ineo. Fascinating story. We're going to be in Finland. Oh, dude, maybe this guy's... I didn't make this connection. Maybe this guy is one of the 18 dudes who's into S&M. The whole, the whole rest of the story, you're going to be, like, checking his fingers. He's like, no, I swear it was simply a Hershey's bar I was eating with peanuts and, and corn. And a little bit of gold flakes on his fingers. We're like, come on, man. This guy's name is Imo Koivun. Ivo Koivunen. We're just going to call him Imo, obviously, because I can pronounce that. Imo is a member of the Ski Patrol for Finland. Now, spoiler alert, he's with the Nazis. So, I don't want you to get your hopes up of this being... He's basically powered by Nazi meth, this whole story. So don't... If you're a budding screenwriter, don't be like, Oh, I can't wait to write this write this script. This is a main story. No one's going to make it. It's never going to get made. Just roll with it. This guy is a supporter of the Nazi regime. And 1944, Soviets are basically curb-stomping people at this point. He's on ski patrol with about, like, I think it's like 10 other dudes, right? They're on this thing. And they're kind of just skiing around, looking for troops and stuff like that. And then, like, one of them stubs their toe, and they're like, man, I really kind of love the pain I'm feeling. And Imo's like, hmm, another convert to the cause. I wonder if I can get him to eat poop as well. But before he can test his theory, before he's converted another man to the S&M lifestyle, they're attacked. <laughs> Soviet troops throwing those old-timey grenades with, like, the sticks on them. <laughs> and then Imo's like, no! <laughs> I will fight! I will fight to the valiant end for my Nazi allies! <laughs> but eventually... They they just totally get overrun, and Imo's like, you know what? Screw the Nazis! I'm out of here now. Imo starts skiing down the mountain, and the Soviets are not known for being quitters, so they go in pursuit of him. Now we're in a military unit now, and let's say I'm the commander, obviously, and you're my second in command because you're totally awesome. And then we got a bunch of other bums to do the rest of our stuff. You may carry like the communication equipment. This other dude's carrying the maps, and this other dude's like the medic. He's carrying the medic bags. We may have, I may have like a map on me. You may have a couple band-aids on you. But for the most part, it's kind of divided up like that. Imo takes off down the mountain and he has Pervitin. 
which was basically factory-made methamphetamines. We've talked about this on the show before. The Nazi war machine, really the Nazi economy, was run on Pervitin. They're handing it out. You take it, it was a pet pill, and it was methamphetamine. And when you're out on patrol, you want to stay up all night. So his job was to carry the Pervitin for the entire squadron. But now he's the only one left, right? And he's trying to outrun these Soviets, and he's like, uh-oh, this is not good, because they're, these dudes do not take prisoners. Again, the Soviet Union, not known for quitting and not knowing for taking prisoners. He's going down the mountain, and he gets a break, and he goes, hey, man, in for a penny, in for a pound. He takes 30 doses of these methamphetamine pills. Enough for the entire squad. You're supposed to take, like, one a day, right? He's like, gulp, because if you think about it, If the drugs don't kill you, the Soviets will. So pick your poison. He takes these pills. He gets a short burst of energy, which which, which is an understatement, right? I'm sure the short burst of energy was his heart literally exploding, pausing Matrix style. The camera rotated around it, and then it reconfigured itself. And he's like, ah, going down this hill. Then, surprise, surprise, he enters a delirium and then blacks out. He wakes up the next day and he has no supplies. He has no idea where he's at. But he's still high as a kite. And then the Soviets catch up to him and start shooting him. He's like, oh man, not this again. I was already trying to get the bugs out of my skin and now these Soviets are after me again. What a world. He's going down the mountain. Throwing those old-timey grenades. Now... He obviously gets away because he's on 30 doses of meth. He didn't fall asleep, mind you. He simply blacked out. His body just couldn't handle it. He goes, he goes, he goes, he goes. And then as he's getting away from them, he's like, I don't see him anymore. It's clear. He steps on a landmine and gets blown into a ditch. And he lays there for a week. So his countrymen find him. They take him to a doctor. He's been in this ditch for... He got blown up by a landmine. And I think his leg got blown off, but it didn't say that in the notes. I'm just assuming human physics, that's what happened. But maybe the meth reconstructed it. He gets taken to a hospital. And when he starts to find out like what had happened, he was 250 miles away from where he started with his group. And when they took him to the hospital, so he had been chased by these Soviets... Blown up by a landmine, ended in a ditch, and then a week later he's found. When they take him to the hospital a week later, his heart rate is still 200 beats per minute. He was still that high on meth. And what's interesting about this, I don't know how big he was before, but when they took him in, he was super emaciated. Because again, your heart thinks you're running a marathon. He was only 94 pounds, and he said that whole week when he's laying in the ditch... All he did was eat pine buds, and at a certain point, a sparrow or some sort of bird flew down. He grabbed it and just ate it raw, which is what you would expect from somebody on enough meth for an entire patrol squadron. They could just grab a bird out. The fact that he could grab a bird out of the air is proof of meth enough. Now, what's funny is a long time ago, we did an episode about meth immortality, and I was making fun of all these people who said how awesome meth was. And one of the guys said, who was like pro-meth, said, meth turns you into Superman. There's the story of the ski patrol that went for, fought for 10 days on. This is what he's referring to. And it's funny because in that episode, I said I could find no proof of this claim. And here we are a year later. Ennio sends me this story. 
that must have been the story that this... Now, obviously, it's changed. If I remember correctly, he was saying the whole squadron was, like, fighting for a week on it, and this dude was just running for a week on it. Regardless of the of who was on it, it is fascinating that he just didn't, didn't simply die of a heart attack. But that is the story of Imo. Superman? Super meth head? Who knows? We do know one thing. He is able to catch birds. Think about Superman faster than a bird. No, that's not it. What is it? Wait, what's this thing? Superman. Jumps higher than a building. Outruns a train faster than a locomotive. Can jump a building with a single bound. You know why that's in there? Because he didn't fly originally. He could just jump really far, which made more sense. Faster than a speeding bullet. It doesn't matter. What's oh? It's a bird. It's a plane. It, never mind. The joke. The joke was failed before I even started it. Let's see if I can recover it. He's like Superman. Superman's faster than a. Never mind. Dang it. He's not faster than a bird. Everything's faster than a bird. What is it? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yeah. Can you imagine a bird that big that you would mistake it with a human, a bulletproof human jumping over your city? You're like, that's a big bird. But we'll leave behind Finland, we'll leave behind him and his um, gimp-wearing friends that he was reunited with after the war. We are now headed to Falkville, Alabama. So let's hop on back on board the Carpenter Copter. We're going to land in this dude's front yard. We're looking in the window. This is going to be another episode where we're just kind of, we're dressed up as cops. So this is going to be another episode where we're just staring inside people's windows the whole time. I just like wearing this cop uniform. Gives me a sense of power. Gives me a sense of respect. You're like, Jason, okay. Weirdo. (laughs) So anyways, we're looking at this window. It's October 18th, 1973. It's Falkville, Alabama. And we see Sheriff, we see Chief of Police, Jeff Greenhaw, 26 years old, walking around. His lovely wife is there as well. It's 10 p.m. Gets a phone call. Uh, Sheriff, I mean, City of Police, Chief of Police, he doesn't even know what title he is. He has to look at his own notes. He looks at the table. He's like, oh, that's who I am. Chief of Police, Greenhaw. And the voice on the line is a panicked woman. Chief of Police, Greenhaw, you have to come out. There's something out in the field. There's something really weird going on out in this abandoned field that I'll give you directions to. And he's writing down directions. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of vaguely aware of that field. Thank you, madam. I will take care of it. Okay. Click. He gets in his patrol car. Now we're gonna we're gonna hide in the trunk, right? We're all snuggled up in the trunk. The car's super bumpy. He's like, uh, should have gotten his shocks fixed, but he didn't. So uh, I'm trying to drink a milkshake in there, and it's spilling all over you. I'm like, anyway. So now we get out. You're covered in milkshake, and he's walking around this empty lot. There's a f- empty field, really. It's abandoned road, empty field. Now he brought his normal police stuff, accruements, accruements. I don't know stuff. He brings his stuff with him. He has, like, his gun and his badge and his flashlight. But he also, for whatever reason, at the last minute, grabbed a Polaroid camera, which wasn't part of his normal gear. And so he's looking around, looking around this field, shining his flashlight. He doesn't see anything. He gets in his car, he drives around a bit, and he's like, I'm going to have to find out. You know, it's funny. I didn't even get that woman's name. It was just such a panicked person telling me to come out here. hope it's not an ambush or something. So he decides to do one more drive around. And that's when he sees, he didn't see this previously, but now he sees 15 feet in front of his car, something standing there. He gets out of the car. What in the world? Shines his flashlight for a little bit more light. It's the size of a child encased completely in metal. 
Here's a quote from Greenhaw himself. It looked like his head and neck were kind of made together. He was real bright. Something like rubbing mercury on nickel. But just as smooth as glass. Different angles give different lighting. When I saw him standing in the middle of the road, I immediately stopped the car and asked if he was a foreigner. But no sound came out of his mouth. He said that the child began to walk in a herky-jerky motion. Like a robot would. Like a 1950s robot would on television. Seemed to have an antenna sticking out. And it didn't seem to be concerned that Greenhaw was looking at it. So Greenhaw reaches into his car, pulls out his Polaroid camera. Takes a photo. The robot's still just standing there in the beams of his car. Another photo comes out. Robot turns a little bit towards him. Third photo. The creature, whatever it is, 15 feet away from Chief of Police Greenhaw, looks at him. One more photo taken. And then the creature takes off so fast, he can barely even register it's moving. Greenhaw gets in his car. He has an old-timey siren. He's taken off, but again, this is an abandoned road. This is a dirt field. He's trying to chase it, but he can't go over 35 miles an hour without completely destroying the car. He tries it, but this thing is moving so fast, it is out of sight. It's gone. The photos are very famous. They're available online. You can actually check them out. They're all going to be in the show notes. You can actually just Google as well, Falkville Alien. Falk, Falkville. That came out wrong that other time, but they're available. And it basically looks like a man in a suit. And what's interesting is he goes back to town and he tells everyone about this. I have photographs of this alien encounter. Now, there's a couple things we have to look at. One. This happened October 18th, 1973. October 11th, 1973, you had in Pascula, Mississippi, you had a very famous UFO sighting that I think is really boring. A couple of people are on a rowboat and they get abducted by alien and then nothing happens. You're like, Jason, that's not boring. I think we've covered so much weird stuff on this, this show that if they just get beamed aboard and then they don't remember anything or there's just like an alien putting stuff up their nose, to me, that's boring now. Like, I need to have weirder stuff than that. So some people think, when he goes to town and starts telling people, some people are like, "Uh, I think you're just trying to get famous because there was just that famous story a couple days ago that's really in the newspaper and we think you're trying to do this. Other people say, this might sound authentic. This chief of police, he's the chief of police, why would he lie about this? They start looking at the photographs. Now, even skeptics don't think the photographs are fake. They think the photographs are of a buddy in a suit. No one's saying that the photograph, it's a model or that it's a double exposure or something like that. They're saying, oh yeah, there's totally someone in this suit. We think it's a suit you made with your buddy. And he's like, no, 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 no. I didn't, who would I, no, I don't even know. And then people go, well, who called you out there? And he goes, I don't know. That's a good question. And that woman was never able to be tracked down. The woman who called him up to invite him out there in the first place, to not invite him, it wasn't a party, to get him out there in the first place, has never been revealed. He gets ridiculed because people think he's making it up. They're basically saying, you made up the, maybe you had a friend call or maybe you made up the phone call in the first place, then you and your buddy went out there and you decided to take pictures of your buddy in a suit. And he was really, really saying, no, this is 100% true. Please, please believe me. His wife leaves him. He gets fired from his job. 
and his house burns down all within months of this taking place. Now, I don't think the house burning down was part of this, but he got fired. The city council fired him for being a weirdo. His wife left him because she couldn't stand the teasing. Nowadays, it would be different, but we've talked about this on the show as well. But back in the day, it really was a stigma if you came out as having an alien encounter. It was really hard to get past that stigma. And even today, like, let's say you are a cop and you see something weird. You're not really going to talk about it because then people are going to put posters of E.T. in your locker and things like that. Because, you know, when you're in organizations where safety is key, another part of safety is everyone falls in line. Like, you don't want a wacky and wild 747 pilot. Everyone kind of has to have the same personality You see that in the military, you see that in police forces, you see that in most things that involve you, other people counting on you being safe. Everyone kind of has to fall into line. So if someone all of a sudden goes into a house, a cop goes into a house and they see something paranormal, other cops will say, don't tell anyone. You can tell me that story and I'll keep it under wraps, but don't go around telling that story. Yeah, you you walked into a house and you saw a woman float four feet off the ground towards you. And then her relatives are just saying, oh, she's just having some schizophrenic episode. Help her get down there. And you're like, what? No, I saw her float. And they deny it. Just don't ever talk about it. Keep it under wraps because you're just going to get a bad reputation. They're going to start calling you Mulder around the office. That's cool. I love Mulder. No, 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 no. Trust me. Trust me. Don't reveal it. So, and this is why. This is one of those reasons why. Loses his job. So, you go, Jason. And he, to this day, he, I don't know if he's still alive, but actually for the rest of his life, he regretted ever telling this story about the Falkville alien, regretted ever bringing it up. Still, but never recanted it as far as I could tell. So Jason, why are you telling us this story? A man runs into an alien in the middle of the woods, takes a couple of pictures, the pictures are available online, he runs away. That doesn't sound like the most compelling alien story. And abduction actually is more interesting on its face. And I would agree with you on that. However... I don't think this was an alien, and I actually have a conspiracy theory for this as well. And I, it's just a hunch I had reading the story, because I had to read the story a couple times, a couple different sources, and I got the same hunch every time. There's a, there's a conspiracy theory that aliens are time travelers, that the greys are just basically either robots or advanced humanoids, and the reason why UFOs can blink in and out of existence is you're basically moving through time, which would conceivably be easier than traveling from one part of the cosmos to another. What if this was, he got called out to this thing because he wasn't supposed to have that job. He wasn't supposed to be married to that woman. And as he would have died in his house, he would have burned down in his house if he wasn't having all this other trauma going on. It was future Jeff Greenhaw or future Jeff Greenhaw descendant, most likely, because he's not alive during time travel. But someone far along in the timeline says, we have to keep this guy single or at least not married to her, and he doesn't need to be a chief of police. He should be something else. Probably because Jason keeps calling him a sheriff this whole episode. So they send back a little robot, and then it runs away. And then it kind of ruins his life, but maybe he wasn't on the right path he was supposed to be on. They're like, Jason, you, that is, you, talk about people, stuff coming out of people's butts. You totally pulled that out of your butt. Think about this. Why don't, if UFOs are everywhere, and supposedly there are, and there are galactic civilizations and all these Artemis 1s or whatever, the Starship Athena floating around out there, and you have Pleiadians and Lizard People and the Conformers and all sorts of stuff. How come not many people see UFOs or aliens at all? Like, you're an infinitesimally small... More people see ghosts 
And I'm not talking about UFOs where you look up and you go, oh, what's that drone? And it's a drone. What's that light in the sky? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about full-on saucer cigar ships flying over your house. You're out in the woods. You get abducted. Infinitesimally small percentage versus the people who see ghosts. It's not even comparable. Not even comparable at all. What if the only people who are seeing UFOs, like close encounters, not again the light in the sky, but close encounters of the second and third and fourth kind, are actually, these are actually intervention teams from the future. It would explain a lot, actually. It would explain why certain people get chosen. Maybe the same people get abducted over and over again because they're not learning from their mistake in the future. It's like, send back another time machine. They're obviously still smoking cigarettes. Let's do this. It would explain why aliens have such a dumb obsession with the environment, which I think is totally lame. But they're always like, save the planet. Maybe they come from a future where people like me were in charge and we're like smoking our big cigars as we run cities where we control the air supply. I'm like, let them burn. So aliens have to come back and be like, no, dude, don't be like Jason. Don't be like Jason. Don't be one of those fat cats in Oregon controlling the world's air supply. Maybe that's maybe that's why. And so people who see aliens or people who see UFOs close up, they're the ones who need course corrections in their lives. The people who aren't seeing them, they're actually moving along the timeline that they're supposed to be on. Who knows? I have a hunch that at least this story was a time traveler because his life changed so drastically afterwards, which doesn't normally happen. Which I guess goes against my theory if most of the time it doesn't. Okay, let me reframe this. I think this one was a time traveler, but maybe not all aliens are time travelers. Maybe some of them are time travelers, but maybe sometimes people just need little tiny course corrections. This guy was really off the rails. But aliens being from the future actually, I believe, makes more sense than interstellar travel. So the next time you're out in the woods, or simply at home by yourself, and you feel like your life isn't as amazing as it could be, that you wish you could have a glimpse of an alien life form, or simply have a UFO fly by that you can wave at, because you want to be part of the world of the supernatural, of the paranormal, I would say this. Hope for a ghost, because if you do see an alien craft, it may be a sign that you're headed down the wrong path, that your life isn't what it should be. And if that's the case, are you ready for everything to change just for a glimpse of a message from the future? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.